You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about culinary medicine. Joining me is Dr. Maria Mascarenas, who's the Integrative Health Medical Director, and Dr. Tracy Jubilier, Integrative Oncology Medical Director. Well, I'm really looking forward to learning about culinary medicine because I'm curious about this, but I don't feel like I've had much education in this area before. So thank you both so much for joining me today. Katie, Tracy and I, thank you very much for inviting us. We are very excited about the program that we are creating here at CHOP and would love to share with you what we've done so far, as well as our future plans. Katie, thanks so much for having us. It's a joy to be on the program with you, and I'm excited to talk to you about what we're doing also specifically in oncology with our culinary medicine program. So let's start off with defining what culinary medicine is, and why aren't we just calling this nutrition? So culinary medicine is really more than just nutrition, as you pointed out. It's a new evidence-based field in medicine that blends the art of cooking with the science of medicine. It's really aimed at helping people reach good personal medical decisions about accessing and eating high-quality meals that we hope will prevent and treat disease and restore well-being. I also like the definition from the American Society for Nutrition, which states that it's a new and educational approach to improving eating behaviors, also focusing on skills such as food shopping, storage, and meal preparation, which a lot of people don't have nowadays. And from a practical aspect, I like to think of it as learning how to cook healthy food that's simple, practical, helps us look at the value of food, and also includes foods that we like to make this really a joyful experience. And it's really more than just saying eat your fruits and veggies, which is a simple thing. I know in clinic, I will often tell kids and their parents eat five fruits and vegetables. Well, culinary medicine is giving them more than that, showing them how to incorporate this, how to pick, how much to eat how to cook, and giving them simple tools. And I think it's even more powerful when I share with them stuff that I do at home to help me do what I do. And then it's exciting to share those experiences. And then when patients come back, have them tell you, well, I tried that. And it it is simple. It is easy. And so it also involves, you know, really teaching patients how to successfully change their behaviors around nutrition and cooking. So while culinary medicine may see food as important as pharmaceuticals, it isn't really as simple as food as medicine, like an apple a day keeps the doctor away, which you just mentioned. How is culinary medicine a way to provide evidence-based personal nutrition guidance? So Katie, as Maria said, culinary medicine is a way to translate the research evidence we have about the benefits of food into practical advice for the patient. So it's teaching people how to shop, to cook the food, to make the food, and to educate them about the value with what research shows us. And it's empowering people to cook healthy food. 
and attention needs to be given to how food works in the body as well as kind of the sociocultural and pleasurable aspects of eating and cooking and there is evidence to show that some eating patterns have been found to be as or even more effective than prescription medications for some conditions so for example we know that it is an anti-inflammatory eating pattern is helpful for rheumatoid arthritis. Of course, many know about the ketogenic diet for epilepsy. We can say that a Mediterranean eating pattern helps with cardiovascular disease. There's certainly evidence to show that it decreases the incidence of cancer and cancer-related mortality, and as well as helps with type 2 diabetes. And actually, several foods have been found to be effective. For example, we can say that legumes are good for cholesterol lowering. Some people would say tree nuts for metabolic syndrome. We know about milk and honey for acute cough. So I think there's definitely literature out there and evidence to show that food and culinary medicine can play a role in helping to take care of our patients and understand how the use of food and cooking as part of a patient's healthcare goals. So I'm interested to know, how have you been using culinary medicine at CHOP? So we've been doing culinary medicine at CHOP for several years now. I think it first started off with the classes to the Healthy Weight Program, which is our program at CHOP where we see kids whose BMIs are over the 95th percentile. And we partnered with Veterinary Community Kitchen, and we were having uh, two classes in the fall and spring, where we divided the children into uh, teenagers and in the tweens group. We've also had classes for patients with inflammatory bowel disease, those who were on food elimination diets. We've developed some videos in partnership with Trexel, and these are on our integrative health website. The ketogenic program at CHOP has actually been very well established, and they have their own medical chefs. So we've been teaching patients how to cook those high-fat ketogenic meals for kids with intractable seizures. More recently, we've worked with the medical school and partnered with them to develop culinary medicine courses for the first and second years, and then again as an elective for the third and fourth years. And this is in addition to the regular nutrition elective that any medical student can take. We're very lucky. We have two medical chefs at CHOP, and they've been working primarily with the ketogenic program, but now are expanding their reach, so to speak, to other programs as we grow our program. And then the other exciting thing is uh, in radiology, they have a Blue Zone a wellness initiative, and they've been doing some uh, culinary medicine classes through a local chef. Everyone in radiology is allowed to attend, or they're invited to attend, and some others as well. That's great. I love to hear how you're using culinary medicine already at CHOP. I want to shift a little bit to some practical tips that you can give to us in primary care. So numerous studies show that preparing food at home is healthier as it increases the consumption of fruits and vegetables. Yet many Americans eat many meals outside the home. With COVID, families have had fewer opportunities to eat out, yet there's still many barriers that exist in preparing food at home. So I thought we could address some of these barriers so we can learn how to help our patients overcome them. So first, shopping for healthy foods on a budget can be challenging. How can we help families with limited financial resources find healthy foods? So in oncology, Katie, it's also exciting. We're working to develop a culinary medicine series, and we're in the process of actually purchasing a mobile cooking cart where we can teach our patients how to use food as medicine for symptom management, but also teach patients about healthy eating, especially as they go through their cancer journey and into survivorship. 
we started a series where we actually offered cooking demonstration that patients could connect to via blue jeans and that's just showing different recipes again for symptom management and we hope to continue with that in oncology we have our integrative oncology clinic where we work with a nutritionist specifically to teach patients also not only about nutrition in cancer care, but how they can be using culinary medicine through their journey. This is a great question because I think we're being exposed to this more and more. And I'm going to share with you something that we're doing in the Healthy Weight Program. So in the Healthy Weight Program, all patients uh, do a food insecurity screen every time they come in for a visit. And it's a simple two-question screen. And if it's positive and our medical assistant alerts our food pharmacy manager or our social worker, and then they get uh, in, in, included in the food pharmacy program where we give them not only a bag of groceries that will feed a family of four for the, for the following week, but also give them resources in their community based on where they live, as well as some recipes and how to cook the food that they actually are taking home with them. Because sometimes they may be new foods. If they're a family, then they're given kale, for example, and they've never made kale at home. They may not know what to do with the food. So the recipes are also included with that. And with COVID, we're doing less of the fresh produce, but more of the dry goods just from an infection control standpoint. The other two programs CHOP has is the Healthy Eats program, where during the summer months in the ER and at Burger, children who are food insecure can come and pick up lunch. And then uh, San Viridachalam has a healthy cooking program where she partners with medical students and they actually go into people's homes and teach them how to cook food. And then also shows them where to procure some of the food locally at reduced costs, etc. Another big thing we try to do in all these programs and with social workers and with our dietitians is to really try and connect patients with food programs like Full Abundance, etc., and identify what their local resources are and connect them with existing programs. For example, I know at ShopRite, they sometimes have a dietitian. So kids with celiac disease, if that's a ShopRite that participates and has a dietitian, you can use the dietitian to help you navigate by specific foods etc. within the grocery store. We recently uh, got a diversity grant to bring integrative health to underserved population with mental health challenges. It's a five-class series, and one of the classes is on nutrition. And during this class, we're actually teaching basically culinary medicine. We're going to practice making a salad and showing how a salad can be a complete meal and then giving patients low-cost alternative to the ingredients so that they can learn how to substitute and how to take control of what they're doing. I think the biggest part is educational, as I've kind of alluded through, in that it's very important to teach patients about what the important food groups are and what the substitutes are, and that you have protein sources that can vary in cost and that may be pretty equivalent, and then carb sources and how to read labels, etc. And I think once we can teach patients how to navigate the aisles, supermarket aisles, we will be able to help them buy food at reduced costs or for a small, on a smaller budget, but still get all the basic good nutrition they need. Those are great resources for us to know about. A second barrier that I hear from patients, and maybe even often myself, is that there just isn't enough time to prepare a healthy meal. This is one reason that fast foods become so popular. So how can we help busy working parents find time to prepare healthy meals? So I think the biggest thing is education, is to teach parents to keep it simple, 
recipes with simple ingredients that are easy to make that maybe take 20 minutes, 30 minutes to put a meal together, maximum an hour, and save the laborious meals for the weekends, the one that take more fruit pep. I think once you have the confidence that you can make some simple recipes, then you can start experimenting. That's what we try to teach parents to do. For example, the salad I told you that we're teaching parents is, well, for the protein source, you could put chicken, right, in your salad, but you can also put a can of beans, which is relatively inexpensive, or cheese, or some kind of protein like that, again, to boost the power of the salad. And so one dish meals, one pot meals, so pasta with a protein source, which again could be meat or it could be beans or legumes, and then veggies, which could be sautéed or even a salad, greens that are chopped up, becomes again a one-pot meal, very simple, easy to cook or put together, and then you have it affordable. You can also pre-cook meals or pre-cook the ingredients of your salad or whatever you're going to do. Or like what I do is kind of make it in bulk on the weekends and then spread it out throughout the week where you mix and match and so you don't get bored with eating the same food. There was a very nice program at a main medical center where they actually had culinary medicine classes in the clinic. So after the clinic was over, patients would stay for a class. It was a one-hour class. They would be taught how to cook a couple of dishes. And then they would leave with a box of groceries, the same that we do in our food farms in the Healthy Weight Program. They would leave with a box of groceries for a week, and they would eat the food that they had cooked and then go home. So I think those are some very nice experiments that we would love to do here at some point. But I think that what they did in those classes was not just engage the adults, but also the children. And so I think when you engage children and give them a say in what they're going to cook, and meal planning for the week, it becomes even better because then you're really teaching them good eating habits from the get-go, so to speak. We have some videos that are on our website, and we are coming out with an anti-inflammatory cookbook in January, which again tells you cooking time and has a list of the ingredients and has some basic, simple steps that you could do as to what you should stock in your pantry. And that way, it's easy to put a meal together uh, very quickly. I think the big thing is planning ahead. So planning what you're going to cook next week. So you buy all the ingredients on the weekend because that's when most of us do our shopping or on a weekday evening, depending on what you do. And if you plan ahead of time and you can partially make the food the day before or you make like, let's say, a roast chicken and then you have roast chicken with the leftovers you can incorporate in tomorrow's meal, that becomes an easy way. So these are things that we hope to teach parents in our culinary medicine program and in any interaction we have with them. I think education is the key thing, keeping it to simple steps, few ingredients, and food that's affordable, and meal prepping, as you say. Okay, thank you for those great tips. I love the one-pot meals. So a third barrier that I hear from many families is that they buy a bunch of fruits and vegetables and they go bad before their family can eat them all. This makes parents less likely to buy these foods the next time they go to the store. So how can we minimize food waste? So Katie, that's an excellent question. And I think we all have an issue with this sometimes. And as Maria pointed out before, I think it's really important for parents and families to get in the habit of food prepping and meal planning for the week. And then when you go to the grocery store, really buy what you need to buy for that particular week. Because I think a lot of times what happens is you buy food, it goes in the freezer, and then who knows what happens to it because you forget about it. So buy what you need and then cook what you're going to cook. The thing with fruits and vegetables is put the fruits and vegetables, so cut them up, put them in baggies, 
put them in a fridge where it's eye level for the kids so that they can see that there's a healthy snack. You can portion it out, so have fruit cups in the fridge, and then you can pair veggies with hummus. Another good way to minimize wasting fruits and vegetables is to make smoothies. It's a great way for kids to get their nutrients. There are a lot of fruits that can make it sweeter, and you can minimize the taste of the vegetables. So I think that's a nice way to use fruits and vegetables. In fact, on our CHOP intranet, we have some great smoothie recipes that are listed as a PFE for families. And then I also think it's important to talk to families about what a serving is and what a serving size means. Because I think sometimes we say, oh, you need four servings of X, Y, or Z a day. And I think it's very hard for parents to conceptualize that. So really explaining what the meal plate looks like so they understand, you know, how much food they're really going to need to be buying. Those are great tips. My patients know that I'm always recommending smoothies. So while we can all benefit from lifestyle changes that improve our dietary intake, I would imagine that some pediatric diagnoses benefit from culinary medicine the most. I'm thinking of things such as celiac disease, hypertension, diabetes, and obesity. So is there data to support this? Yes, Katie, there's a lot of data to support the benefits of nutrition and diet and culinary medicine, not just for celiac disease, which is simple. You know, gluten damages your the lining of your intestines, so you're going to avoid it. But Eating healthy food uh, definitely helps with hypertension, diabetes, and obesity. And in our Healthy Weight program, we do uh, recommend these. And we actually take foods that kids like and teach them or show them how they can actually change that to foods which are healthier, but which still have the taste that they like, but without the extra added fat or sugar that they would need. The other places where food definitely can help is patients with irritable bowel syndrome, reflux, constipation, irritable bowel syndrome, lactose intolerance. So yes, there is a lot of evidence to support the use of food to help ameliorate pediatric conditions. I just wanted to add one other thing in response to the former question. I think modeling behavior is very important. And so if parents eat fruits and vegetables and set a good example, then probably their children are more likely to do that. And something that I learned actually from a family member was usually after dinner, after meal, most of us want something sweet. And it's easiest to get a cookie and have everyone have a cookie or some kind of dessert. And so what we've done now consistently as a family is cut up fruit. So when you clear the plates away after dinner or after lunch, out comes a fruit that's already cut up. And then when you're sitting around there, it's very easy to reach out and have a piece of apple or have a flake of an orange or a berry or whatever fruit you have that's cut up into pieces. And then again, you're now incorporating it and then you don't leave till everyone, you know, till that plate of fruit is finished and you put what's on the plate, what you know the family's going to consume so you don't have wastage and leftovers. More great tips. Thank you, Maria. Something that I sometimes struggle with in clinic is that so much of nutrition is socially and culturally influenced. And as pediatricians, how can we be mindful of the ways in which our patients' family, religion, community, or culture influence their diet? So this is an excellent question, Katie. And we all know that every patient should have access to evidence-based, practical, and culturally sensitive advice about issues related to food, cooking, and eating that's specific to every patient's case. And unfortunately, in a busy clinic, you know, when you're trying to see patients, a lot of patients in a short amount of time, these issues 
are rarely discussed and we really need to start identifying and analyzing these issues and they should become an explicit part of the clinical visit and a patient's medical history and treatment plan. So sometimes it can't be done in the visit that the patient's at and if you address a nutrition concern or you want to explore this further, it could be done in a separate visit. When you're talking to a family about these issues, you have to assess what does cooking mean to them and their family? Like what is the role of food and cooking in that family and how does meal planning play a role in their family? Are they a family that eats meals together? You know, how important is the role of food to them? And then I think the most important thing is really, you know, don't come in with biases, really meet the family where they are. Talk about what staples there should be in in the home. And then maybe it's replacing them, the staples with certain spices or ingredients that are culturally appropriate. So I kind of think of sometimes culinary medicine is like prescribing exercise. And yes, this should be a tool in our kit. And so there is one format for writing a culinary medicine prescription that we can think of. And the acronym is FOOD. So the F is frequency. So that's, you know, how much of the food, beverage, or meal there is to be eaten. What's the objective? You know, what's your goal of the food? And then options. So O is objective. The next O is options. How much and what are the different methods to prepare, to serve? How are you going to shop for it? Are you going to grow it? And then the D is for duration, you know, how many times per day, week, or month should we be talking about this prescription? So that's something nice that can be followed. I agree that, especially in terms of social and cultural values, we really need to be thinking about that when we're talking about nutrition and food with our patients. And it's not something we often address in our clinics. I love a good acronym. And speaking of acronyms, let's talk a little bit about medical education. So I remember counseling my first celiac patient as a resident, and after giving a short list of foods to avoid, I felt completely inept at answering my patient's nutrition questions. So how much nutrition education do medical students typically get, and how is the field of culinary medicine changing physician education? I love that question because it's the lead-in to what we're doing at CHOP at Penn specifically. So in general, there's not much nutrition education in medical schools. It's a deficit and people have been trying to remedy it. But I'm very happy to say that there's a growing interest in culinary medicine in many medical schools. So the first cooking and nutrition elective at a U.S. medical school was in 2003 at SUNY Upstate. And then in 2007, Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives course for clinicians uh, through Harvard, the T.S. Chan of uh, Public Health was started. And it's an amazing conference and it's been yearly since then. The first culinary medicine center, the U.S. Medical School, opened in Tulane in 2013. And they have a great, um, you know, course for medical students. You can actually go down and take courses. Uh, you can be a culinary medicine instructor. And then I think in 2013, the first culinary medicine electives were started in uh, Des Moines University and then in California. And since then, more medical schools are integrating our nutrition education. At Penn, we have a course for the first and second year medical students. That's a foundations course where we, when they're learning about an organ system, we incorporate culinary medicine into that system where they learn 
how to cook foods that would benefit that organ system. So for example, if they're learning about the cardiovascular system, it would be about the DASH diet, for example, or eating healthy diabetes, similarly uh, eating less sugar or healthy sugar, more complex carbs. So that's definitely something that's been going on. I think it's, it's in first year at Penn and the course has been very well received. We also have a culinary medicine elective for third or fourth year medical students. And this has been, I think, given three times now. And the format before pre-COVID was actually uh, eight-week for- format. We had eight topics. They had article to read. And then they came in for the class, which was a two-hour class, again, in partnership with Vetri Community Kitchen. And there was a case presentation. They actually made two or three dishes. There was a dietitian there, faculty member. And there was a there was a very nice discussion around the case around food and the use of food in culinary medicine, and they, everyone got to eat what was cooked. Because of COVID, we had to change that into a virtual session, which was successfully done in May this year. And this time, it was a two week, very intense program where again we had physician, dietitian, battery cooking, but it was all virtual, so they watched the cooking. And then they had small group discussions and we just got the results of where we surveyed the med students and the feedback was wonderful from both sessions and very similar to the in-person class uh, where students basically signed up very quickly for this course within two hours. The attendance was very high and the feedback was uniformly positive. And at the end of the course, uh, students noted significant increases in the their knowledge of pertinent nutrition information. They were more comfortable discussing nutrition with their patients. They felt that they had the ability to impact patient behavior. They were also contemplating implementing changes in their own diets. So this was very, very positive. And I know that you probably experienced this, that when you share with a family the changes you've made personally, when you add that personal touch, it's so much more powerful. So it was very rewarding to know that the med students, by changing what they were doing, would be able to really empower their patients. We are actually about to start a resident pediatric culinary medicine elective, or not elective class, uh, in September. Um, we have a curriculum, and we're kind of working out the details right now. We're very excited to work with our medical chefs at CHOP. That's great. There's so many new opportunities for physician education. So now that we're all hungry and jazzed to learn more about culinary medicine, where can our listeners find more information about your program? So we have a CHOP website and we're in the process of updating it. So I think that that's one place to look. We have at our annual symposia every year, we try to involve nutrition, our best involved nutrition as best we can. So that's another way to learn about the power of nutrition and culinary medicine. Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives has a conference every year at Napa Valley, which I think is a wonderful conference where you, once you get hooked into culinary medicine, you'll want to do it. As I mentioned, Tulane has medical school courses and a curriculum. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine also has a free curriculum. And there's another organization called culinarymedicine.org. I think for the people at CHOP, the resident culinary medicine courses, once we offer them, will be limited to residents, but we hope that the residents will be able to incorporate this into their training over a three-year period. And I think I would say stay tuned because uh, this is just the beginning of the culinary medicine program at CHOP, and we are hoping to grow it. Right now, it's more patient-focused and medical student-resident-focused, but our hope, similar to what radiology is doing, is to expand it further and even get it out of the main building, so to speak, 
Uh, and I think the virtual platform allows us to be in a lot of places without being there physically. But I think we are open to once COVID is over, seeing how we can bring it into a more local um, arena, so to speak. When I went to medical school, we didn't have the opportunity to have such courses as culinary medicine and learn more about nutrition and the importance of nutrition in healthcare. You know, we basically learned about macronutrients and it is so great to hear that this is getting incorporated in medical student training. But I also think it's important for our attending physicians and kind of elderly folks to learn about this as well and have it ingrained in the culture because we really need to understand the mechanisms of how food influences disease, metabolism, immunity, and well-being. And it really should become a part of the medical culture where we work together. So, you know, I encourage my colleagues when they're thinking about nutrition, just don't think about the basic protein, fats, and carbs. Partner with your nutritionist. Think about ways to be creative and to get into the patient home and, to, and learn about, you know, what their resources are, their cultural values, as we mentioned before, and teach them how they can use food to be healthier. And, and also, honestly, I think, especially for us in oncology, I noticed that for a lot of symptoms, we tend to be very medicine-driven, which is totally great, but there are times where we have a lot of polypharmacy and patients have a lot of side effects, and there are a lot of foods that you can be using to treat symptoms and limiting some of those medications, which can have side effects and interactions. Great. Well, thank you so much. I think I'm ready for a healthy snack. I'm sure the listeners are as well. And you've given us so many resources to pour over. Uh, Thank you so much both for joining me today. Thank you so much for asking us, Katie. It's always easy to talk about passion. And Tracy and I are very passionate about culinary medicine for healthy patients, patients with chronic diseases, everyone. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Katie. It's really great that we're getting the message out about culinary medicine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.